You turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we continue our journey along with the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the church at Corinth. As we get to the 14th chapter, and as we begin to look at this seemingly out-of-place chapter, a lot of people will look at this and they go, well, that almost doesn't make any sense. I mean, he's just finished talking about love. Really, chapter 12, 13 and 14, really form a very cohesive picture of spiritual giftedness. And the reason that I believe that Paul goes back to a very specific set of gifts, or really a couple of gifts, is very, very easy to see if you look at it in light of what he's just talked about with love. Because absolutely everything, amen, needs to be done in love. Without love, we're as a sounding brass. Without love, we can have all of our facts correct and still not really represent the Lord right. And so here he comes to a place where I believe the church at Corinth had a problem. And can I say to you that that problem still exists in our world? It is the divide that in essence is between two uh, specific types of evangelical ministry. You have the conservative evangelical church and you have the Pentecostal evangelical church and they are still haggling over this very thing today. It still divides churches. It still creates problems. And because they failed to see the general message, which was the message of love, what we ultimately have is something that divides the church. And that is not God's plan because, as we learned in First John chapter 4, that they're actually going to know that we're Christians because of that love, because God himself is love. Amen? So when one denomination picks on another denomination, or one group of people picks on another group of people, it doesn't bring glory to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that those differences aren't substantial. It doesn't mean that to some degree those differences aren't even used of the Lord. But when those differences become a bone of contention and a source of ill will, when they begin to be conflictory to the point that unbelievers see how two groups of believers respond to each other, And it isn't godly, and it's not kind, and it can't be said that it's said in love, then we know that we're on the wrong road. Amen? And so Paul brings up two very specific gifts here, and he's going to emphasize one for the first half and emphasize the second for the second half of this chapter. And so today... Uh, We're going to look at sign gifts in the church. The sign gifts are those gifts which are spectacular in nature and those things that actually could be equated to the Old Testament signs that the prophets did. So in the Old Testament, if you remember the way that a prophet was chiefly validated, is they could do some things that other people couldn't do. Amen? So they would go and Moses would throw down, you know, Aaron would toss down his rod and Moses would turn it into a serpent, those kinds of things. Those things in the Old Testament were to remind people that God existed. In the New Testament, the apostles had very specific gifts that they entertained that also added validity to the message that they had. And there are some lingering things that have been passed along into the church age that are parts of that apostolic era that still are functioning today, but they're not functioning in the same way. Because we have the whole New Testament. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. It's sufficient in and of itself to preach the full counsel of the gospel. It is able. Faith comes by hearing. Remember what Romans 10 said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We now have the word of God, and so we don't really need specifically those extraordinary things to bring validity to the truth of the gospel. It stands alone as it is now. But there are some things that still exist in church. You know, if you haven't noticed, we actually clap and raise our hands here. We do some things that if you did that in a, for instance, a maybe an Episcopalian church, they would probably politely say, we don't do that here. If you did that in, in a formal setting, maybe in a Lutheran church, maybe that might not be quite as acceptable. There are some things that maybe we do that maybe some others don't do. And those had begun to be bones of contention. They were no longer evidences of spirituality. They'd become things that people fought over. And the last thing in the world that God wants us to do 
is to disrespect his love in the world by being at odds in, in a way that's, that's not helpful with the rest of the body of Christ. And so he begins to speak about a specific issue and, and a peripheral issue that uh, is found here in chapter 14. And so this morning, uh, the sign gifts in the church, and if you'd pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. God, thank you that we can stand. Thank you we can sit. Thank you we can clap. Thank you we can raise our hands. Thank you, God, for the expression of faith in our lives. And we pray that you would minister to us this morning by your spirit, through your word, that we might know uh, what is your good and your perfect will for us. Lord, is this body of believers Would you speak to us through the power of your word? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in 1 Corinthians 14, it says very plainly, pursue love. Notice what it says next, and desire spiritual gifts. Can I give you a little distinction here? Notice that pursuit is an action and desire is a thought. You need to mark that very carefully because we do one thing, we think about, if you will, the other. In other words, we ponder things like spiritual gifts. We think about them. We're seeking if that's the Lord's will for us, but we are to pursue love. Very important distinction because pursuit is an active endeavor that requires all of everything that you are. Amen? If you're in pursuit of a rabbit... Can you sit in a chair and think about the rabbit and get very far? If you're in pursuit of greatness in sports, can you lay on the couch with a can of those cheese balls from Costco and get very far? You see, pursuit is an action word. It means that you're actively engaged in going after the thing you're pursuing. It's not something that's mental. It's something that is mental, it's something that is physical, it's something that's all-consuming. Pursuit means that you really go after it. Pursue love. But desire earnestly spiritual gifts. In other words, pray about, think about, be concerned with, search the Lord, ask if these things are for you, if they're for that situation. One is very active and one is very passive. And the reason that he begins this way, I believe, is this. Because when we confuse those two things, we start to argue over things that don't matter spiritually, that won't bind us together, that won't cause us to be effective. We need to be in pursuit of love because that's who God is. And then we need to ask God, God, would you have me uh, speak a word to that person? God, would you have me seek after that gift that is an ecstatic language that is between you and me as we pray? Would you have me do those things? You see, one is, I want to desire it, and God, if you want to give it to me, that's great. The other is an essential. Love is an essential. Speaking in tongues is not an essential, and he's going to show that very clearly in this chapter. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Notice which one he uh, gives the, the credence to here as being of these two things, speaking in tongues and prophesying, which one he says is more important. For he who speaks in a tongue, and the word that's translated, the phrase that's translated a tongue, is very different than our human language. In Acts chapter 2, the word that's translated tongue is a human language. And so each of those who were there heard in their own human language the word of the Lord. Here this is speaking of an ecstatic or a heavenly language. It's a language that God speaks between you and he and you to him. It is also a language that can be interpreted by others, and we're going to see that in this chapter. But it is not a human language. It's a heavenly language. It's an angelic language. And so he makes a differentiation here. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, notice, but to God. And so a heavenly language or something is between you and God. And let me give you a couple of examples before we even start. There are times, perhaps you have experienced this as well, that I actually groan in the spirit and I know that God understands exactly what I am saying. It's like, oh, Lord. 
I haven't expressed the entire entirety of, of that sentence. But God knows exactly what I'm saying. I'm crying out to him in a very specific way that is not intelligent. If you heard it, you wouldn't have any idea what I'm saying. There are times that I do that, especially in my private prayer life, because I do not need to tell God what every single word that I would have to speak to you because he knows my heart and my mind. And so there is a language that's chiefly used in prayer. We call it the gift of tongues. You see, what is being, the attention that's being drawn here is there are things that we might do in private. There are things that we might do in a small group. There are things that God might do uniquely that in their setting are wonderful and good and they give great credence to the fact that God's at work in the church. But there are also things that if we were to do them in a corporate setting like we're doing right now, that this would become utter chaos. And that utter chaos wouldn't minister to anybody. And so notice how he begins to set the frame here. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. And so he makes it very clear that these things are between the person speaking in tongues, that heavenly prayer language, and God, and that those things are mysterious. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Do you see the difference between these two gifts? And there's a reason there's one of each. One edifies a single person, a believer, generally speaking. The other builds up and edifies the church. So if you're in a church setting, which gift do you think God would have in operation in the church itself? That would be the gift of prophecy, and we're going to elaborate on that in a moment. And the reason has already been spoken to us. Because the gift of tongues, especially without interpretation, doesn't build the body up. It only builds the individual up. And we are in a corporate setting. And so consequently, if all of a sudden each one of us were to break out in some kind of prayer language, um, should about a Honda, about a Hyundai, and you start, you know, doing those kinds of things, pretty soon everybody's going to be going, I don't have a clue what's going on in that guy's life. And it's not building me up at all. And in fact, it's very confusing. And here's why it's especially important in the church. Because from time to time, in this church, we have people that are either new to the church, don't know the Lord, maybe they're visiting, and so they're really going to think that we are basically off of our rockers. Because they're not going to know spiritually what's happening. And so he sets the stage uh, with this one specific gift. And here's why this is important, and this is the divide that's happened. As I shared with you before, Pentecostal churches think that Calvary Chapel are Baptists. Okay, they do. However, Baptists think we're Pentecostals. And here's the reason. Because I think we have this this particular gift in view. And so, whereas in, perhaps in Assemblies of God, The gift of tongues is exercised in the service. And having been to a few of them, I'm going, I'm not getting much out of this. It's kind of chaotic. And I've also been in some churches that are so stoic that there's no evidence of love. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm simply pointing out the differences. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we must in love, love one another. We we have to do that. But I think the balance is found in this chapter. It's one of what we call, we have a little book, in case you haven't gotten it, you can go online, go to Calvary Distribution, you can get Calvary Distinctives. One of the great distinctives of the Calvary Chapel movement is, we believe that the gifts are still alive in the church, but they're to be used in a very specific setting. And so the Holy Spirit isn't restrained in any particular way, but at the same time we don't cause confusion. And so that is what's been dividing churches for a long time. You could go to a Pentecostal church, and they would probably tell you, many of them, that because you do not speak in tongues, you are not saved. That's a tough thing. Because this chapter says exactly the opposite. Matter of fact, Paul says it's okay if you don't speak in tongues. I'd rather that you all prophesy. So it's important that you have this in view, that it's neither dead 
nor is it something that we need to fuss over and worry about. Very important. You'll have balance. I believe that speaking in tongues is a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit. But I also believe, and I think this passage teaches, that it's to be used in a very confined set of guidelines. If it's used in public, we're going to see that it needs to be interpreted. If it's your private prayer language between you and God, speak all you want to the Lord in that prayer language. It's unrestrained. And I do, I'll tell you. There are times when I just sit down and the word's coming out of my mouth. I'm not quite sure that uh, you guys would figure it all out, but I know God's figuring it out. They're not complete sentences at times. They're just me and God talking. And so... Let's look at verse 1 again, but look at it in the New Living Translation. Let love be your highest goal, is how that's translated. It's a very, very appropriate translation uh, of pursue love. But also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the gift of prophecy. In other words, if you were to take chapter 13 and put it in a void, it would stand alone as a chapter on love, but it really continues on here as a continuation of love. In other words, love has to be the motivating factor of everything we do. Everything we do, all that we say, Everything we preach, everything we teach, everything we pray about needs to be prayed about, thought about, exercised in love. And so he gives us that highest goal of love. And then, in essence, what's being said is, from that foundation, you can move on to the other things. So we're to pursue, strive for, seek after, aspire to love. And he's going to use two complementary gifts here. He's going to use the gift of prophecy. He's going to use the gift of tongues. And he's going to establish that both of these things, by the way, the fact that this chapter exists is proof enough that these things are still active in the church. Whether you want to debate that or not, if that's something that you think needs to be debated, then take it to the Lord and debate it. But do not divide the church over it. Because nothing is worth destroying the love of God to be theologically correct in an issue that is talked about the way this will be in this chapter. When you, when you look at church history, and specifically when you look at the Reformers, Cal, Calvin, John Calvin and Martin Luther, when you look at their lives, one of the things that was very, very wonderful about what happened with them, and specifically how they have ministered to us in our day and time is, they kind of removed the mystery of the giant church, the Roman Catholic Church, and some of the things that were done there. Some of the things that happened in the Roman Catholic Church, you couldn't grab your Bible and go, wow, that's where we got that from. And so they addressed that issue. But another thing that they did was is they, they put an emphasis where I think it rightly belongs on the prophetic use of God's word to speak forth God's truth. Because what happens in that sense is, I can speak to you prophetically. There was someone in this church, and you were sitting here right now, and you were engaged in a relationship with someone that you're not married to, that you have no commitment with, and you are sexually active. I could prophetically speak into your life that God's word specifically says, do you not know that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God? I could prophetically speak that word into your life, and it would be absolutely true. Why do I say that? Because part of my job is to speak forth the truth that God has already spoken. And when I do that, how much accuracy do you think I will have? Let me give you a hint. 100%. I'll be accurate 100% of the time. I won't have to be worried. I won't have to well, I, just, I don't know. If I tell you what God's word plainly states, I have prophetically spoken into your life because it is speaking forth God's truth. This is God's truth. It speaks forth to those who hear it. And so the gift of prophecy can actually be boiled down to rightly dividing the word of truth and speaking it forth into people's lives. So if no other reason, when you hear the word prophecy, don't get hung up and bring it too narrow because that's what the church has done over the years. Okay, well, I've got to come up with something new. I gotta say something to that person that, you know, it's a special revelation from the Lord. That is not necessarily what's being said here. 
because there is a test for a prophet. And I want you to turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Very important before you overemphasize what we often hear is the spectacular gift of prophecy. In other words, I walk up to you, God gave me a vision, and uh, you're going to become a millionaire tomorrow. There are people that do that. And unfortunately, you see them on TV occasionally, and they're standing up, and they're telling you, I'm speaking to you a word of prophecy, and they use their southern draw normally. And they say, if you just buy one of these magic wallets, and you, you know, and, you, and all of a sudden you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're going to get a bunch of money, and God's going to take care of your bills, and you're going to have perfect health, and you're going to have extra faith, you're going to have, and they say it's prophetic. Can I say to you, your Bible does not say that that is the gift of prophecy. It actually calls that person a heretic, and here's why. Verse 20, Deuteronomy 18. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and if that thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, and the prophet has spoken presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. In other words, the test is, it's got to happen. So unless you can believe with 100% accuracy that the words that you're going to speak are going to be 100% true, you better not preface your statement with, thus says the Lord. And so a lot of what people confuse with prophetic speaking is not prophetic speaking at all. It's absolutely heresy. And the reason we know is the test of a prophet is found in your Bible, and it says it has to come true. Otherwise, it's not from the Lord. So Mr. Magic Wallet, when he says you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, if you just give to his ministry, is not speaking prophetically. Amen? You need to learn these things. You need to know these things because people are very confused, and they click on a handful of TV channels like TBN, and they go, oh, well, he spoke prophetically to me. No, he did not. Because it did not come true 100% of the time. And if it does not come true, your Bible says that man is not speaking prophetically. So we need to be very careful when we're talking about prophetic speaking. On the other hand, I can speak prophetically to you with regard to what God has already spoken because he said it, not me. And so, verse 2 For if your gift is the ability to speak, and I'm using the New Living Translation again, in tongues, you will be talking to God but not to people, since they won't be able to understand you. But you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. In other words, it's not going to be normal language. So that gift, those those non-earthly languages that sometimes we utter, we groan, and I think very often for most people, it's just simply, it's like, God understands you. God understands you. Oh, no, Lord. He knows exactly what you're saying. You haven't said, I can't believe I lost my job after all these years and we're going to struggle and I don't know what to do with my family and my life and my wife and I'm not sure what's happening. You see, you just spoke in tongues by going, oh. You probably didn't know that. But that is a form of speaking in tongues. Paul called it groaning earnestly in the Spirit. He says, my spirit just groans earnestly. Just like, oh. It's a type of speaking in tongues. You see, as we look at these sign gifts, these extraordinary things, we need to leave them in the context of how Scripture speaks about them. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies is helping others grow in the Lord. Now do you know why I just framed that the way I did? You see, when I speak to you the Word of God, and I do not expound upon it in a way that's not what it says. I let it speak for itself. And I say to you, and just simply elaborate as Nehemiah chapter 8 speaks to us, that I'm just simply supposed to speak it distinctively and give it sense and meaning so that you can kind of grab hold of it and go, oh, okay, didn't quite get that, but now that makes sense. 
when one prophesies, he's helping others grow in the Lord, encouraging them and comforting them. So it's an encouragement. It's a comfort. It's a gift that should be exercised in public. Amen? Because we want to lift up, build up, encourage, and comfort each other. But a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally in the Lord. The one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. And so as far as the church is concerned, he's making a very clear distinction here. Public worship, those types of things that we do, need to have a benefit to the body of Christ. I have been asked why I don't allow people to stand up and prophesy in church. I've already largely explained that to you. I've been asked why we don't have people speaking in tongues and doing all those kinds of things, because obviously I believe the gifts are active. Here's why. It's going to be confusion. It's not going to help. It isn't going to build up the body. People are going to be looking at it going, man, what is going on in that church? The other thing is, because I'm already speaking the word of God, it's going to tell us that only one's supposed to do it at a time. How many others do you think are supposed to be speaking when I'm speaking? The answer is none. Zero. Zip. Again, because the message becomes confused. Somebody in the back row stands up and, well, you know, thus says the Lord. And another person over here is speaking in tongues. You guys are all going to be going, man, Jeff has lost it. God is probably not with that guy because there's too much confusion going on. You see, we want to strengthen the church. That's the goal of us gathering together corporately. However, when you gather together with the Lord in your prayer closet, and let me help you, I don't, please, you don't have to go clean out a closet at your house and put a chair in it and make it your prayer closet, okay? Your prayer closet can be a rock, it can be underneath a tree, it can be on your deck, it can be, it's just where you go to meet with the Lord. And sometimes I meet with the Lord in some pretty strange places. You know, I'm sitting there in an airport lounge. I'm like, Lord, I just need to know. You know, and I'm just praying. I get up in the morning. Sometimes my dog is licking my face. And I'm like, Lord, thank you for my dog's tongue. Yeah. I have strange places that I talk to God. And I'm not being disrespectful. It's where I am. It's what I'm doing. God wants to talk to me, and I want to talk to him. But when we're here... We're to be edifying the body of Christ, not just me, not just you, not just the person who would have that thing to say, but all of us. There are really four quite distinct approaches to this particular issue in the church. One I like to call studious or ignorant neglect. In other words, you just don't know what God's word says. And if you're in that crowd, you may not even know that the gift of tongues is still even active in the world. You may not even know it exists. That, that can be one way to look at this. Uh, the other, one of the, the next I would say is, is what we call rejection by historical limitation. In other words, because Church X hasn't done it for 400 years, it must be okay that we don't do it, it doesn't exist anymore. That's called a historical argument. The third thing is called emphatic approval. In other words, I just read through it, and okay, there is a gift of tongues, and so everybody must have it. That is also incorrect. And the fourth way is what I like to call, and I think most people who who are in that camp, call cautious acceptance. In other words, we use things in the context in which they're intended without making doctrine out of it. In other words, I walk up to you, man, have you spoken tongues? When was the last time you prophesied? People that do that very often just simply put people under bondage. And there are churches that do. Walk right up to you, man, you, know, you haven't spoken in tongues yet? Well, you know, we need to save you again. We need to pray more of the Spirit in because if you were really saved, you'd speak in tongues. My Bible doesn't say that at all. Matter of fact, it says exactly the opposite. So I believe the fourth of those is not just Calvary Chapel's view. It's my personal view from the study of God's Word. Notice verse 5. For I wish that you all had the gift of speaking in tongues. That should be enough for you to let you know that not everybody does. He's plainly stating, I wish that you did. He wouldn't say that if they did. They don't. And so it can't be that it is for everyone in every circumstance everywhere. He said, I wish. It'd be nice. But even more, I wish you were all able to prophesy. In other words, I all wish that you guys were able to speak forth the truth of God into people's lives. For prophecy is greater and more useful than a useful gift than speaking in tongues. He gives a reason why. And we've already seen why. It edifies the church. It builds people up. 
unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church can get some good out of it. That's what the New Living says about the gift of tongues. There's nobody there to interpret what it says. Nobody there to make sure that everybody else knows what's being said. In a public setting, it doesn't do any good. It's just gibberish. Comes across as, wow, is he lost for words? Did he forget the English language? What happened? Paul wished that everyone would speak in tongues, but all don't. And apparently, it seems as though, at least in the Corinthian church, what was going on was that that gift was being exercised in a public service without interpretation. And that, if you've ever been to a service, for those of you that don't know, Calvary Chapel has spawned another large, uh, what we would call a non-denominational denomination, just like we are, because we're not really a denomination, but another large group of believers that spun off, and they spun off under John Wimber. They're known as the Vineyard. The Vineyard actually grew out of Calvary Chapel. But when the Vineyard spun off, the Vineyard spun off exactly because of this issue. It was the speaking of tongues. It was using those things in a a worship service. And so we maintain this position as Calvary Chapel, that the gifts are alive, but we want you to go home edified and built up, not just confused. And Vineyard said, well, we want the spectacular services, and so we're going to stay here until the Lord speaks. And having been at a few Vineyard churches and having presided over a few Vineyard events, I can tell you that you guys think I go long? Woo! And I'm, again, I'm really not mocking. I'm just saying, okay, the Spirit's moving, and so-and-so has a word of prophecy, and so-and-so has a word of prophecy, and that guy has a gift of tongues, and this guy's going to interpret over here. I have seen vineyard services go four and five hours, and everybody's sitting there. And I can tell you that when you have multiple services, that's kind of hard. Well, the Holy Spirit's done. We're just cutting off the Holy Spirit right now because that's what you have. That is the conclusion you must come to at that point in time. And so here's why I think we're right on in this particular issue. And I'm not so much trying to draw the distinction as I am trying to say that there is a balance. It says in verse 6, Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you talking in an unknown language, how would that help you? And whether you believe that this is speaking of a unknown language, like maybe we could say Swahili or, you know, some type of Mandarin or or something that none of us in here speak, or whether you're talking about a heavenly language, the bottom line is neither one would help you, amen? If I stood up here and spoke to you in Mandarin Chinese, which I can't do, by the way, or if I spoke to you in Brazilian Portuguese, or I spoke to you, probably most of you in Spanish, some of you would be okay, but most of you would mock my Spanish, if I spoke to you in an unknown language, you probably wouldn't get much out of it. You wouldn't understand it. It wouldn't be of benefit to you. But if I bring you some revelation or special knowledge or some prophecy or some teaching, that is what will help you. A revelation is this, and I believe that these four words that are here are just simply four different types of information. I believe that's all he's trying to say here. But they're different this way. A special revelation is Pastor Jeff sitting there in the middle of the night looking at his Bible going, man... I have never seen that before. And I jot down in the margin of my notes, wow, this is awesome. God spoke to me thus through his word, and I bring you that special revelation that's going to help you. Maybe some of you are going, man, I read that and I saw that too. Special revelation. Special knowledge. You know what? I have an understanding of the original languages. There's some things that I know that you don't know. And so I can look at it and I can go through and I pull up one of my tools on my computer screen and I cross-compare those things and go, That is awesome, and I share that with you. That will also help you. If I bring you prophetically, speak into your life what the Word has already spoken, I guarantee you that will help you. And if I bring you just plain teaching, I simply read it. That word teaching can actually just mean instruction. I simply just read God's Word to you. You're going to grow from that. But not necessarily from all these other things that are being thrown out here. Even, it says in verse 7, in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a flute or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction of notes? So he's going to give us several examples here of why this is so important. Now, we have a worship team and a worship band. 
One of the things I can tell you is you have to have that gift because I've seen people that don't have that gift do it, and it's not edifying. It's, you have to endure it. You have your hands cupped over your ears. You're going, oh, Lord, that's terrible. That's not actually that note. That is not that word. And, oh, man, there needs to be a bucket so they can carry a tune in it. You, you, you see, you could desire to pick up that electric guitar, this acoustic guitar, sit behind this drum set, but if God hasn't gifted you, it's not going to be very beneficial. You need to actually have that skill to do that. And so he's saying there are gifts, but you need to be able to exercise them in a way that's meaningful. And so he uses music. It certainly makes sense to us. Second, in verse 8, is a bugler's call. And a bugler doesn't sound a clear call. How will the soldiers know that they're being called to battle? You have to play very precise notes. You don't want to play reveille for a call to battle, amen? Yeah, that's a little, it's not just get up, it's get running. You, you, you have to make sure that you have the right thing. So it's showing the, the, the necessity for context and syntax and for the definition of the words that are used and all those kinds of things. He's drawing the analogy that tongues doesn't necessarily provide any of those things because it's unintelligible to the person who hears it. It doesn't make a bit of sense to someone who isn't speaking to the Lord through it. You, you would listen to it and you go, oh, I don't get a clue. I don't know whether I'm supposed to go to battle or whether I'm supposed to sit here and eat more Thanksgiving turkey. And it's the same for you, he says in verse 9. If you talk to people in a language they don't understand, how will they know what you mean? You might as well be talking to an empty room. Does that make sense to you? It's pretty plain when you look at the chapter in context. And so to, to drag it all out and go, well, you know, we need to just pray for more of you to speak in, the, in tongues and do it. it. It's clear that that isn't what is supposed to be done in a church service. Mere sounds mean nothing. They, they need a plan. They need syntax. They need to have definition. I can make, you, you guys watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? They have their, you know, they have an elvish language. It's in the back of Tolkien's books and you can flip them open and you go, okay, well that's a, what did he say? That means what? You see, if I were to speak to you in elvish, you guys would all, number one, think I'm nuts. Number two, you wouldn't get a thing out of it because you don't understand those words. It's the same thing here. And undoubtedly, verse 10 says, there are all sorts of languages in the world. And yet, none of them is without meaning. In other words, when you speak a word or you speak a language, they have meaning. If I say to you, bon dia, I just said good day in Brazilian Portuguese. But most of you don't speak Portuguese. You're like, he's like I think he sneezed or something in French. <laughs> I don't know. Because you don't know what that means. In Spanish, it would be buenos dias. You, you see, you have to know the words, amen? And if you don't know the words, you're not going to get the meaning. You might have thought that I just called you some kind of alien being or something. You wouldn't know. He says, if you do not grasp the meaning of what's been said, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he's a foreigner to me, and so it is with you, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts. Try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. becomes very obvious what's being said. And so those that use this chapter as a proof text that everyone in the church is supposed to speak in tongues simply haven't read the whole chapter. You've got to take a verse out of context in order to get there. Verse 13, it says, So if anyone has the gift of speaking in tongues, you should also pray that the gift of interpretation is there in order to tell people plainly what's been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit's praying. But if I don't understand what I'm saying, of what value is it? You see, we need to make sure that we have these things absolutely in the context of the way that they're spoken in Scripture. So what will I do, verse 15 says? I will pray with my spirit. But I will also pray with my mind. Ooh, how many parts are you as a human being? You are three. You are a body, that would be your lips. You are a mind, that's the thing you think with. And you are a spirit, that part that's associated with your heart. And so the whole of all of you is supposed to be engaged. So if any part of you is not engaged, in other words, you can't understand it, it's not of the Lord for you. 
If you hear it and it comes across as gibberish, it's not of the Lord for you because God doesn't, he's not the author of confusion, but of a sound mind so that you can understand what's being said and what's being done. It's that way for a reason because God loves us. God wants to encourage us. God wants to build us up. He doesn't want us walking out confused going, man, I don't have a clue what happened today. It was sure loud. It was spectacular. And so he says, I'll pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit. I'll sing with my mind. In other words, when we're worshiping the Lord, we're supposed to be fully engaged. We're supposed to be thinking about those words. We're supposed to be singing as best as God has given us the ability. And maybe some of you just need a holy whistle. I, you know, it's whatever. We'll understand it. We should get the tune right. If you don't know the words. Yeah, there are some folks that it's probably best that they holy whistle. You know, every once in a while, you just, God hasn't given you, maybe he hasn't given you that gift. Not everybody. That's, that's no slight on anyone. We just recognize what the Lord has done. We pour out our feelings. We pour out our hearts. We pour out all that we are to the Lord in this case. Verse 16, he goes on to say, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen? Amen means so be it. You understand that, right? You're saying yes to whatever's been said. If you don't know what's been said, how do you say amen is another way to look at it. So if I'm sitting in here and I were speaking in a completely foreign language or I was speaking in some prayer language, if I was speaking in some ecstatic language that maybe me and the angels know about, and I did that in public and there was no one here to tell you you could not agree with me, you'd have no way of knowing what it is that's going on. You just kind of sit there and go, well, that's weird. Uh, It must mean something, but it's weird. It wouldn't build you up. It wouldn't bring you to that place of drawing near to the Lord. You see, he says to those who do not understand, that would be pretty much everybody. If you didn't know what language I was speaking, amen? You'd all be sitting around going, I don't know what it is. It kind of sounds neat, but not getting much out of it. So in a corporate sense, the rest of the congregation would have no clue about what's going on or why. We want to be able to say amen. When I encourage you to say amen, that's, that's us together saying, Lord, you said it, we believe it, we're going with that. That's what amen means. When I read the word of the Lord, and you sometimes, people actually ask, if you're new in the Lord, sometimes people don't know why we say amen. I am agreeing with God. I am saying, yes, Lord. You said it, you spoke it, I heard it, I believe it. That's why we say amen. We kind of need to know what he's saying to do that, don't we? I mean, you guys would be looking pretty silly if you walked around all day, every day, and just out of the blue, amen. You know, somebody speaks in Russian, and amen. Somebody's over there, and they're just like calling their dog. You know how we do? We make up our own languages for our pets. We do that, don't we? Don't lie to me. I know you guys have your weird dog language, too. You have, if somebody hears you saying that, they're going to think you're crazy. They're not, they're not going to come in, and as you're talking to your dog, calling them in, they're like, come here, Pudgy Pudge. That's my, one of my dog's name. It's Pudgy Pudge. I don't even know how I got that name. You walk in, and you hear, come here, Pudgy Pudge. Amen. <laughs> you're not going to grow out of that. You're going to think I'm nuts. You're going to know my dog's cute, but you're going to think I'm nuts. You see, we wouldn't be edified. Verse 18, For I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And so he acknowledges the fact that he himself speaks in tongues. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. If you ever want to know... What what the value is in a public setting, there's your verse. Paul himself says, I speak in tongues. But I'd rather speak five words that you know than 10,000 words you don't. Why? Because this is about us. This is about the collective we. This is about 
us getting a word from the Lord and understanding those things. It's not about me trying to confuse you with something that maybe some work that God's done in my life. And there are things that God's done in my life maybe he hasn't done in yours. And vice versa, by the way. There are things that God's done in your life that he's not done in mine. And if I don't share those in an intelligible way with you, then you won't be benefited from it. And my job is to help you benefit from your time here. It's to help you learn truth and be able to say, Amen. Amen. That's what it's about. It's, it's grasp that truth, own it for yourself. So be it, Lord. That's the instruction for me. That's why we go through those tough passages like Romans 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter, and there's all these things that are listed in there. And we are forced by the word of God to say amen to them. I don't get an opportunity to disagree with God. Now, I can do it. It's not wise. It's not beneficial. And it leads to perdition, destruction. It's not good. What God says, I'm supposed to say amen to. But what man says, not so much. Because you can go to any Christian bookstore in the country, and there will be whole rows of completely useless books. Absolutely useless. The whole word faith thing, you can walk down that aisle, you might as well grab your trash can and just toss them all in there. And I am speaking directly to that specific type of theology. Because nowhere in here does it say amen to, you are going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise if you do anything for the Lord. In fact, it says you will be persecuted for my namesake. It says that tough times will come, you will have storms, you're going to go through stuff you don't like, and in fact, you are engaged in a war. That's what this says. It doesn't say if you just give God more money, you're going to end up with diamond rings and Mercedes and big houses. It does not say that. So any knucklehead that tells you so, you don't have to say amen. You can go, uh-uh. Because from a prophetic speak, it's not true. You see what Paul's saying here is, these things are in private? Yeah, absolutely. Speak it. Pay attention to what's being said. Listen to what the word of the Lord is. He says in verse 20, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. He's saying don't get caught up in the childish things. You ever notice how kids gravitate towards stuff that's kind of going crazy? You ever notice when you put a bunch of kids together, they don't even have to know each other, and it automatically turns into utter chaos? They steal each other's toys, they whack each other, you know, they go after the snacks and somebody gets into them. It's just like it's selfishness, amen? That's what it is. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't let your church service become selfish to where there's just one or two people being built up. Don't act like kids. Be mature. And that's going to take maybe hearing some things you don't want to hear. Maybe having to sit through a message, you're going, man, I don't think that really, really pertained to me. And there are probably people this morning going, man, tongues, who cares? Seriously, I get it. I get it. I'm okay. I, I understand. There are probably somebody going, oh, we can skip this part. We teach the whole counsel of God's Word because there may be somebody in this room who's struggling with this very thing. And so if, it, if I'm preaching this message to one, God said it, I preach it. That's simple. So if you have a problem, you got a problem with God. Go tell Him about it in your prayer language. <laughs> Jeff said, go groan in the spirit to God. Don't be childish. Be wise in understanding matters of this kind. These spectacular things, these odd things, these things we don't really at times even understand or know. Verse 21, for it is written in the law, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Isn't it crazy? And here's why this is important. He's referring to what the prophet Isaiah said. He said, hearing with their ears, they don't hear me. Speaking with their lips, they don't understand me. You, you see, sometimes we can speak in English and people don't get it. How messed up do you think it's going to be if all of a sudden it's something else? I mean, I can speak to you guys in relatively plain English, and I can tell you at times people don't get it. Sometimes that's because I don't say it quite correctly. There are times when you're being rebellious and not very nice. There are times when we're, we don't want to hear the truth. 
You know, when people are engaged in some type of sinful behavior, can I tell you, they're not very receptive to the truth. They sit down in my office and I go, you know, this is what God's Word says. And they go, I don't care. And they get kind of that stern look on my face. Well, you don't know what's happening. No, I don't. I just know what God's Word says. You see, even speaking in plain English, sometimes people don't get it. In the Old Testament, God sent people who spoke their language to them, and they didn't get it. So how bad do you think it would be if he, if he just, in chaos, just allowed anything and everything to go on? wouldn't be very good, and nobody would get built up. And so, to wrap this up, and I know you guys are ready for this to get wrapped up. I can see it. I can sense it. You're all speaking in tongues. It's going up to God the Father, and he's saying, land the plane, Jeff. Bring it in. Circle in the field too long. See? That's how that works. So pray. Tongues are then a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers and not for unbelievers. In other words, when we speak these things to truth, the people that know the Lord, you can go, amen. You know, I get it. And therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak in tongues, there will come one who are uninformed or unbelievers, and they'll say, you're out of your mind. We don't want people thinking that about us, amen. I know I don't want about you, about me, about us as a church. I want people to come and get edified and built up. I want them to know what the word of the Lord says. I want that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that Romans 10:17 view of this. We, we want God's word to be magnified, not some spectacular gift. And so we believe that these things exist. We believe that God still occasionally has that time when maybe you speak to the Lord in, in some uttering or groaning that you don't understand what it is. But here in this church... We're going to speak in plain English. Hopefully you'll be edified and built up and know what God's Word says. But if you're all prophesying, and here's why we do what we do, and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin. They'll be condemned by what you say. In other words, it will bring the work of the Spirit into someone's life. They'll they'll go, oh, that's what that is. That's why God said that, and and it's for me to know. You see, if you hear something else, probably not going to help you much. But if I speak the word of God to you, you're going to go, I get it. Now you can go like the woman at the well and send no more. You'll know that that thing's wrong. You've got to remember that people who don't know the Lord also don't know what's wrong a lot of times. They're, they're kind of walking around that fog of the world. So I've shared with you before, shouldn't surprise you that sinners sin. They need to know the truth. And so we emphasize the truth of the Word of God and we speak it forth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your blessings, for your love in our lives. And we pray, God, in in this issue, this thing that sometimes divides the church, Lord, we know it doesn't bring you joy. It doesn't bring you happiness. it, It doesn't put a smile on the face of the one who saved us that we're divided over these issues. And we pray that your truth would simply set us free. Help us to cling to your word. Help us to do it with all of us, Lord, our our mind, our bodies, our our souls. God, would be fully engaged uh, in our walks with you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time this morning. Would you bless us and fill us? We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.